Good morning, everybody. Um, wow, what a great start to the day. That's what I want to start off by saying. This place just has a great atmosphere, and it feels great to be here with you all. Uh, thank you so much for choosing to come and spend the next hour with us. Um, my name is Donna Wade, and together we are going to delve into the difficult topic of young people and self-harm. But as difficult as it may be, it is one that I am passionate talking about and one that I think really needs to start being talked about a lot more. Young people are incredibly difficult to understand at the best of times, despite us all having been teenagers ourselves. Um, and perhaps never more so than when they choose to cope with the world by harming their body. So over this next hour, what we really want to do is to give you a bit of an insight into this often misunderstood behaviour. And I'm going to do that in a mixture of ways. There will be three of us delivering the content um, to you this morning, bringing different skills and experiences to the stage to be able to give you the best kind of overview of the subject. I will be introducing to you Rachel Welch, the National Director of selfharm.co.uk. And she's going to be giving us the core information. She's going to be giving us um, the facts, the, the definition of what self-harm really is, and um, looking at why people are doing it. I will also introduce you to Julia Hamilton Crickmay. And she is um, on the self-harm advisory group. And she has experience um, working in schools and mentoring young people in loads of different ways. And um, she's going to be sharing a lot of personal experience um, with you and share some stories. And I will be leading um, us through the morning and I will be showing you some um, videos that were made about self-harm. Some um, four short, short films about self-harm made with young people. Um, and I will be introducing those to you as well. So, as Rob said, um, I am the self-harm therapeutic worker at Luton Church's Education Trust. So, what I do there is I run small support groups for young people who are struggling with self-harm. And I also go into schools doing assemblies and lessons to raise awareness of the issue. And as he also said, I do work with Rachel for selfharm.co.uk as well on the website so that we can reach young people nationally. I have a uh, degree in psychology, which I studied for at the University of Hertfordshire, and that's where I really first started getting the skills and the theory, really, behind what I do now. And uh, before I worked for LCT, I um, worked in a school for a couple of years um, where I was mentoring young people, and that really started um, opening my eyes to the extent of the problem, and it's something that I really came across in um, the school situation. But on top of all that, whatever professional experience I have, I do have personal experience of self-harm as well. So at the age of about 12, I did start cutting myself. And I did that for about two years on and off. And that really became my way of coping with things at that age. I really, really lacked in confidence as a teenager, terribly. And I had a lot of difficult things going on in my life at that time and I just felt so overwhelmed by it all but really when I share that with you um, part of my hope is that you will see actually that that is so something that somebody can recover from so now I, I'm happily married I am doing a job that I love and I think I'm quite a well-rounded grounded person and and that is what our young people can get to despite going through something terrible like this 
So let that just be some hope and encouragement to you. Okay, so let's look in more detail at what we are going to cover uh, in the next hour. If we can move on to the next slide. So um, we're going to start off by giving you the statistics, um, telling you what is the research, latest research said about self-harm and, and what can we learn from that. We are going to be looking at the what and the why. So what is self-harm? We're really going to be breaking down the definition. It's something, it's a term that's thrown around quite a lot. Um, and we're not always sure exactly what we mean. So we're going to cover that. And we're going to cover why so many young people are deciding to do this. That's what a lot of us want to know, isn't it? The why. We are going to be talking about the need for change. There is a great deal of stigma attached um, to self-harm. And so we want to try and break through some of that. And, and part of all the work that we do is about raising awareness and raising understanding amongst people. And so we're really going to, um, Rachel's going to talk to you lots about the need for change and breaking the stigma. And finally, we are going to talk as well about what can we do to support these young people. And that's going to be our chance to really reassure you that actually you can do something in little ways. You can really start making a difference to these young people. You don't have to be an expert to do something. And we're going to talk some practical kind of tips of what you can do. But all this stuff we're going to be talking about, it is a sensitive subject and it is really difficult to hear sometimes. And especially when we show the films, um, they are quite difficult to watch. And so I would just really encourage you to be self-aware this morning. And if you do feel like you need to step outside for a minute, then don't be afraid to do so. Um, just keep on top of, of how you're feeling and, um, and yeah, do what you need to do to look after yourself over the next hour. But I am going to ease us in gently, don't worry. Um, and I was thinking, because there's so many youth workers here this morning, youth workers love starting things off with a game, don't we? It's our way to kind of get into things, isn't it? Um, I do that myself in my, my support groups. And when I do assemblies, I always have to start off with some sort of game. And so we're going to do this um, to kind of, it's our opportunity to look at and to really think about, okay, what do we know about self-harm already? How much do we know? And I'm going to invite um, Julia up to the stage, and she's going to, this is Julia Hamilton Crickmate, and she's going to help me um, do this game. She's going to help me um, look out for what's going on. So what we're going to do is we're going to deliver to you some of the statistics by giving a question, and then we're going to give up um, four different options as the answers. And what I want you to do, we're going to read through the whole question first, and then we'll go through the options again, and what you need to do is stand up for the one that you think is correct. Okay? Don't worry about being embarrassed or getting it wrong or anything like that. Because really it's statistics. So, you know, what can be right or wrong about them. Um, so, we will be... Um, I do encourage you to, to get involved. And please do. Um, do try and get involved and stand up and play along. Um, it'll be good for us to, to make sure we're all awake as well. Um, okay, so I'm going to hand over... Um, to Julia, who's going to ask us the first question. Okay, good morning. Self-harm is more prevalent in young people from a poor background, those that are in care, those from the emo culture, or none of these. So ponder for half a minute, or a second rather, 
and then we'll ask again. Self-harm is more prevalent in young people. So if you think the answer is A, from a poor background, please stand up now. Thank okay, you. good question. Um, this is actually one of the huge stereotypes that's made about um, young people. And I think the word actually originally came from um, the word emotional. And so it's um, young people who maybe have that kind of gothic style and um, wear lots of black and wear certain kind of makeup and listen to grungy music and it's just the whole stereotype that's been made up about um, that a lot of people who self-harm um, fit within that culture. So, um, so yeah, I hope that explains it clearly. Thank you for somebody asking because probably there's a lot of people who maybe wouldn't know that. In fact, I actually asked that question myself this morning. <laughs> I've been stuck at home with children for four years so I'm a bit out of the loop. So, uh, so don't worry, you weren't alone in that. Okay, so self-harm is more prevalent in young people from a poor background. If you believe that to be the case, stand up now. Okay, for those that are in care, is it more prevalent, do you think? Okay. Oh, okay, that's quite a lot. Excellent. I can't um, count that quickly, but I'm just going to have a rough idea in my head. Okay, for those that uh, are in the, this emo culture. Okay, we do have a couple of people in that one. Okay, yes, or ma'am. none of the above. Okay, even though my maths isn't that great, I think I can tell that that was the most popular one. Um, and actually, the majority of you are correct. Um, really, it is, um, I'm afraid I don't actually have prizes, so you can just feel good about yourselves. Um, the answer is none of the above, so, um, which is really surprising, actually, because a few people did stand up for, for those in care, and, and that... Um, is something that does happen. Don't um, get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen in each of these categories. It does. It does happen to people from a poor background. It does for those in care, and it does for those within the emo culture. But, um, but it does happen across all sectors of society and within all social classes. Um, a lot of people that I've... Um, families I've come across have really struggled, especially um, those maybe um, within the church or who, those who go to a really good school... Um, some parents and teachers really feel that it's something that happens to those with, with bad families or maybe with a, a poor background. And, um, but those who are maybe really well achieving at school or come from a really great family, they can still experience a lot of pressure and sometimes just the pressure to keep that up or to, to live to a certain standard and be perfect all the time is pressure enough to, to make them want to self-harm. And so... Um, and so, yeah, we do see it across all of these sectors. Well done on the first question. Um, I'm going to go across to the next question now, which is um, about a government inquiry called Truth Hurts that was done in, it was in 2006, I think, and they revealed some statistics um, about how common self-harm is. So, do you think the government inquiry revealed that 2% of young people in the UK self-harm 5%, 10% or 12% of young people in the UK self-harm? Okay, if you think it was 2%, then stand up. If you think it was 5%, stand up. Okay, we've got our first lot. Okay, that's quite a significant number. Thank you. And now 10% of young people in the UK Okay, that's a lot of people. And finally, 12%. 
Okay, I like that. That's quite a, quite a mixture. Um, and I'm impressed that everyone is actually doing it. Thank you very much. Um, I think the majority of people stood up for 10%. Would you, is that right, Jules? It yeah, was the majority for 10%. I'd say wasn't only it? slightly more, but um, yeah. yeah. And you're wonderful because you're all right. Again, it is 10%. Um, it's one in 10 young people in the UK, it is estimated, self harm, which is a shocking. Um, which is a shocking number because that means that if we're thinking about in a classroom, that means three students in a classroom of 30 kids, three students in that classroom potentially could be going through self-harm. And when you picture it like that, it really does wake us up to the problem, doesn't it? But actually, I want to throw out there that, you know, current disclosure rates are so low, and that's what these statistics are based on. So we might be shocked that it is one in 10 but I want to suggest that it's possibly more than that. Um, so let's just bear that in mind. Okay, Jules, would you like to read us the next question, please? Okay, next slide, please. There are slightly higher rates of self-harm amongst young Asian women, white British teenagers, Afro-Caribbean women, or none of these. Okay, so slightly higher rates of self-harm amongst young Asian women. Who thinks that? Okay, we have a couple of people. About, about 10, 12, 15. Okay, uh, white British teenagers. Okay, there's quite a few more. All right, that's a popular one. Uh, Afro-Caribbean women. Not one. Or none of these. Okay, I think, it was a tie, I, I think it was a tie there between white British teenagers and none of them, I think. And actually, you're all wrong. <laughs> no, um, it is actually young Asian women um, have shown slightly higher rates of self-harm, which is surprising, isn't it? Because um, the, uh, I guess that goes with another stereotype of our white British teenager. Um, but actually, um, it is something which... Is, has recently started coming to light, and there are more and more organisations wanting to, to work in this area with young Asian women, as it has been discovered that a lot of them are struggling with this. Um, but because of maybe the clothing that they wear, they cover themselves up a lot. It remains a secret for a long time for some of them. Um, and so that's maybe why it's not been so known about before. Um, but definitely um, it's coming to light that a lot of young Asian women are going through this. And it is only slightly higher rates... Um, but the statistics have suggested that. Okay, um, moving on to our next question again then. The next one is, um, the female to male ratio of self-harm is three females, so three girls to one boy, two girls to one boy, one girl to two boys, or is it the same this is, quite, this is quite a maths way of putting it, isn't it? It's a bit confusing to get your head around. But is it three girls to one boy? If you think that, then stand up. Okay, thank you. That's quite a good number. All right. Um, if you think it is two girls to one boy, maybe slightly more, but not, not much more. Um, one girl to two boys. Oh, there's a couple of brave people standing up for that one. Thank you. Or do you think it is the same? And a few people standing up for that one. I really love that there's such a mixture. Um, 
Okay, so um, statistics have shown that the ratio is two girls to one boy. So uh, there's lots of yes going. I like that. I'm a little bit competitive. Um, I like it. People getting really involved. So, um, yeah, it is that statistic, two to one, which maybe fits with what we might think. Because when we think about self-harm, we automatically think a girl, don't we, actually? Um, and it does say that, that it does happen with boys, and, and we should be aware of that. And I even want to suggest that, that that ratio is possibly even more even, because if we think about the kind of people who um, are maybe being noticed um, and are disclosing about self-harm are probably more likely to be girls. Guys don't really get emotional with people and go and talk about things, do they? But also, I think maybe the way that boys self-harm is... Um, is different to girls. And so, how many teenage lads do you know that punch a wall up um, when they get really, really angry until their knuckles bleed? Or go, and, and that's often their way of letting things out. But we wouldn't go around calling that self-harm, would we? We wouldn't then go and um, add that to, to our figures as someone who's been found out to be self-harming. Um, so I think it's potentially just that boys do it in a different way and they show their emotions differently. And so those statistics could have been swayed a little bit. Um, so yeah, it does happen. It does happen with both genders. Okay, Jules, over to you for the next question. Okay, this is gonna be quite a close one, I think. The average onset age for self-harm is 11 years of age, 12 years, 13 or 14. So if you think the average onset is 11 years, stand up now. Eight. Yeah, that's a good number. Twelve. <laughs> There's lots more for this one. Okay, thank you. Thirteen. Oh, this is really difficult now. I really wish I could count quickly. And fourteen. All right, and a few more for the last one. So it's twelve and thirteen, wasn't it, Jules, that were the, the really popular ones there? Yeah. Okay, um... It is actually 12 years old. I hear lots more yeses. Lots of you got it right there. Well done. Um, yeah, the average onset is 12 years old, which is um, incredibly young, actually. But that being the average, it does mean that there's younger than that that's happening as well, though. There's been stories that, that even young, young girls as, as young as seven have started um, resorting to self-harm in ways that they don't even realise what they're doing at that age but some of them do out of sheer frustration. Um, but a lot of the people, the young people that I work with, when I do one-to-ones and the one the people who are referred to my groups, are on average about 14, 15 years old. And so um, I got shocked that why, why aren't I seeing all these 12-year-olds then if they're all starting to self-harm at that age? But I think I've realised that's because by the time they come to somebody at the age of 14, 15, they've already been harming for a couple of years so by the time any of them access any help, it's something that's been going on for a while, which really does tell us it's something that is very secretive, and it remains secretive for quite a while often before people um, find out. A lot of people who go through it are, are told that they're attention seekers, and, um, but it might be a while before it gets to the stage that anyone sees it. Um, and so I think that's why, um, why we get that statistic of, of the age 12 being the the poignant year for some people, but, but it is later that they start accessing the services. 
Okay, my last question. Um, you can stay up here for the last question, Jules. That's right, you can help me count. Um, our last question is, what is the biggest cause of self-harm admissions to A&E? Um, Rob was talking a bit this morning about um, the amount of young people who are admitted to A&E because of self-harm. And um, my question is, what is the most common cause? Is it cutting, overdosing, swallowing foreign objects, or burning? And these are all ways, these are just some of the ways that young people um, will choose to self-harm. Um, and these are the ways that are likely to require medical attention. So if you think the most um, common one is cutting, then stand up. Okay, thank you very much. There's lots of you for that one. Is it overdosing? Okay, I think that's a few more for that one. Thank you very much. Um, swallowing foreign objects. Nobody Yum. for that one. That's a bit more unheard of, isn't it? Well, actually, I've, I've heard of some cases of young people who would swallow, like, cotton wool and things like that to give themselves stomachache. So it's something that's, that's not talked about or not heard about so much, but it does happen. People do do it. Um, and finally, burning. There's a few people for that one. You do see a lot of people in A&E for burns, don't you? That's something that definitely needs medical attention. Thank you very much, guys. You were um, right again for that one. You were really clever clued up audience, I have to say. Um, it is overdosing, um, which is the most common um, cause of A&E admissions. But actually, um, the most preferred method of self-harm amongst teenagers is cutting. And that's the one that we associate most with self-harm, isn't it? Um, young people cutting themselves. Um, but the ones who make it to A&E are normally because of an overdose. And so that also suggests to me that um, a lot of young people aren't getting the medical attention they need. They aren't accessing the services that they need um, when so many of them are going through this, but not many of them are going through the hospital doors, really, and getting that help. Um, which says to me that statistics can only really tell us so much, can't they? Disclosure rates are really, really low, and people don't always seek medical attention but they begin to at least waken us up to the extent of the problem we're looking at. So let's just, um, th it was really useful for us to look over that statistics there and think about how much do we really know about it? Um, and what does that research tell us? And, and it tells us it's a massive problem, but where the gaps are probably says it's an even bigger problem. Um, and so, Thank you very much, Jules, for helping me with the game. We will invite Jules up later on um, to share some of her stories with us. Um, but first of all, I want us to really start getting into, um, delving into the heart of it and thinking, okay, what is self-harm? Why is it happening? And the person to talk to you about this um, will be Rachel Welch. So I'm going to invite Rachel Welch up to talk to you now. Thank you very much. Um, you may be relieved to know that for the next few minutes while I speak to you, you are able to remain in your seats. Um, I'm not going to expect you to uh, stand up at any point unless, of course, you want to. Um, so we're going to be looking about the kind of the, the, the what is the self-harm and, and try to get to grips with why is it actually happening. Um, you will see from here that self-harm is actually defined as being a behaviour, action or habit which causes detriment to one's health. A behaviour, action or habit that causes detriment to one's health. 
And that, in turn, has two different branches, if you like. On the one side, as you can see on the screens, you have your harming behaviour, which, by definition, is to behave or act in a way that causes detriment to your long-term health. So the things that you do, you don't necessarily see the impact. You don't necessarily have the, an immediate injury. Harming behaviour can include maintaining a poor diet, overeating. It can include uh, not taking enough exercise. Uh, it can include smoking. It can include casual sex. It can include a whole range of things. The self-injury side is about causing yourself deliberate harm with, a, with an actual instant result. And that's what we're talking about today. You will see that actually, by definition, it's actually self-injury that we're talking about today. But we call it self-harm because that's the terminology that our young people use. Self-injury, I could stand here and list all the ways that a young person might hurt themselves, but I'm never, ever going to get to the end of that list. Um, Donna's covered some of the things. Young people do cut themselves. Young people do deliberately bruise themselves. Young people do uh, headbang. They pull out their own hair. Um, young people will swallow foreign objects. They will take overdoses. They will binge on alcohol to numb pain. Uh, they will insert foreign objects into their bodies as well. The list goes on and on and on. But what's interesting about self-harm is that it's rotational. Uh, a common occurrence hap that happens quite naturally and understandably is that when a parent finds out that their teenager is cutting themselves, their instinct is to immediately lock away anything in the house that's remotely sharp. And while that's a very understandable reaction, what it does is that it may stop that teenager from cutting themselves in the family home but it doesn't stop that teenager from hurting themselves. It doesn't take away the problem. It just takes away the way that they're doing it. So what you get is this problem where self-harm will be very, very rotational. A young person who's cutting this week may not be cutting next week, but they may be deliberately bruising themselves, biting themselves. A young person who's cutting themselves and then will kind of say, hey, do you know what? I don't do that anymore. That's great. But my question will always be, what are you doing instead? You know, you, you can lock away things and you can try and keep young people safe. But it, like I say, it doesn't actually take away the problem. Can I have the next slide, please? So why? Why self-harm? Oh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting the music, but that's actually quite nice. <laughs> I'm going to carry on regardless, and we'll just have a moment. <laughs> Why do young people self-harm? It's, 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 it's a massive, massive question, um, and I wish that I could give you a really simple answer, but unfortunately, there isn't one. I spend a lot of time travelling about, talking to various school groups and, and church groups about self-harm, and what is endlessly frustrating is that at the end of the session, I always walk away feeling like I've left them with more questions than answers. Something I spend a lot of time banging on about is this whole idea about attention-seeking. Um, and it's something that, that is thrown about. Um, she's doing it for attention. She's doing it because she wants to try and get your attention. And the problem that I have with that is that if a young person is self-harming as a way of trying to attention-seek, what has gone so fundamentally wrong in that young person's life that this has turned into the most appropriate way of them to communicate? And a lot of young people, they miss out on having a lot of support because people do dismiss. It's self-harm, you know, 
She started doing it so she can stop, but it's not necessarily that easy. Self-harm is intrinsically linked to emotions. Um, as human beings, we are all brilliantly and beautifully emotional, and it's one of the most brilliant things about us. But it can be incredibly difficult to manage those emotions. I've just listed two of the reasons up there, because obviously we, we don't have a lot of time, and I can talk for quite a while um, when I get going, so I've had to limit myself. Anger and frustration, very, very, very common emotion. A lot of young people think that it's wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. It's an emotion. We, we can't help it. Is how we deal with that anger that's key. I'm the, a mother of a two-year-old. Anger and frustration is something we see a lot of in our house at the moment with, with temper tantrums and... and oh, I, I won't go down that road now, but um, supermarkets, brilliant place if you've got a two-year-old, aren't they, going to the supermarket? Nothing better. <laughs> uh, online shopping is the best thing ever. Um, the number of times I've had to stand with my trolley while my son is, is having some kind of paddy because he's asked for something and awful, awful mummy has said no. And he kind of does the whole throwing himself on the floor. I'm always tempted to do that thing in the advert where the mum then gets down and does it. Never quite had enough bottle to do it. And my son will throw himself on the floor and just throw the mother of all tantrums in the middle of the supermarket. And I kind of let him get on with it, rightly or wrongly. Um, I don't tell him off for being angry that I've said no. And after a couple of minutes of sort of patiently standing there and just letting him have his moment to vent, he'll kind of get up and say, OK, I'm ready now. And we'll carry on with our shopping. And it's, I get a lot of people staring like, what's that one? They're not doing anything with their child. But that's just how he's feeling at that moment. It doesn't mean to say that I've got to give in to him. I let him have his moment on the supermarket floor. He gets through it. And I'm hoping that by doing that with him, he's learning that actually it's OK if you're feeling angry. You know, better to communicate it with us. Um, than, than to internalise it and do something to yourself. Low self-worth. I mean, what a massive, massive area that is. Teenagers are going through such a huge process of change, of growth, of development. They are packed full of hormones. They're, they're going through school where they're having to make important decisions that could affect their future. And how they feel about themselves is changeable on a I'd say not even hourly basis, you know, we, we could be talking minutes for some young people. As people, it's thought that we learn about ourselves and our own identity um, by the way that others respond to us. So if you've got a young person that has been reacted to negatively, that's going to devalue that person's sense of identity. And that can be really, really difficult for somebody to overcome. There's thought to be a lot more emotions that actually motivate and cause self-harm. And the point that I want you to try and take away from this today is that it's only by working with the emotional difficulty that you can reduce, support someone to reduce or stop their harming behaviour. It, it, it's, it's a habitual difficulty, and it's also very, very addictive. Um, your body releases various endorphins when you self-harm. Um, which are thought to in some ways mimic opiates. So a young person will feel very angry and frustrated and they'll do something to themselves, have an unnatural sense of peace and calm about it. But the next time they have to do something just slightly worse to get that same sensation. And then what happens is that the young person, rather than waiting until they're angry and using self-harm as a way of 
getting rid of that emotion, if you like, they start self-harming before that emotion occurs because they don't want to be feeling like that. If they know that they're going to come home from school feeling really lousy about themselves and want to self-harm, they're likely to start self-harming at school before they come home, before they get to that emotional place. And it's only by working on the emotions that you can actually do something to make a difference. I am going to hand over um, to Donna. I'm going to come speak to you again in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to hand over to Donna, who's going to introduce um, the first of the films that you're going to be watching this morning. Thank you so much, Rachel. That was really informative. Um, I just want to start telling you now about some um, of the short films that we made last year. So... um, Last year in March, we got together a bunch of young people. There are about 20 young people involved. And um, not all of them had experience of self-harm. Some of them did. And so the stories, all the stories that we made, were based on young people's kind of stories and their own words. Um, and then there was another team of young people involved who had no experience and were just learning along the way. Um, and showed, and they learned a great deal about how to empathise with these young people. Um, And they also got really involved in the media side of things. So they brainstormed. It was their ideas that were put into the films. Um, They got involved. They made the films themselves as well. They had cameras. They were learning about sound equipment and everything. Um, And actually, like, the result is four absolutely stunning films that we made. Um, And I wanted to share a couple of of them with you. Um, And the first one that we're going to show you um, is actually a great example of what Rachel was just talking about. She mentioned low self-worth as being um, one of the the main reasons that young people may self-harm. And so um, the first film that I'm going to show you is one called Getting Ready, and it's about a girl who has incredibly low self-worth. And she's possibly um, been bullied as well, and uh, and maybe sometimes when someone has low self-worth, they can do it out of punishing themselves, blaming themselves for things. And, um, And so that's what that film is going to show. I'm not sure if the film is ready yet. Can I just... Okay. And we've had a few technical difficulties, so hopefully we're going to show you these films. But they are great. And um, I've been... There's been a lot of people going around today in selfharm.co.uk T-shirts and holding... um, Handing out these little cards. I don't know if some of you picked them up. And um, what they are going to allow you to do is to buy our resource packs for these films at a cheaper price, at a discounted price. Um, So what we've done for the two films that I'm going to be showing you in this session, if we can, um, is we've made up some resource packs around these films that can be shown at a youth group, in a school, in a lesson, just as part of a small group, um, because they are films that will promote a lot of discussion afterwards. They aren't things that you can just watch and then go away. Um, They are are films that are quite shocking and get you thinking. And so we've created a resource pack that helps some discussions and activities afterwards. And so um, do bring your card to the selfharm.co.uk stand, which is in the the other hall, and um, we will show you um, how you can access those at a discounted price. I think it's 25% off if you have the little card that we give you today. And so if you come over to us, and then you'll get a little code that you can write on your card as well um, to get your discounted price. Um, How are we doing with the tech? Oh, okay, we have a couple of minutes, so I'll talk to you more about the films. Um, So, yeah, this film, um, 
the films, they actually had no actresses, no trained actors or actresses involved in um, the filming process. So I mentioned about them getting involved in creating the ideas and in making the films, but they actually starred in them as well. So we had young people um, who'd done no acting before and um, to star in these, and they knew nothing, some of them, about self-harm. And that's what we want to be doing as well. We don't just want to be supporting those who are going through it, but part of our passion is to just really raise awareness of it as a topic as well. We're not about, um, it's a careful balance because we're not about promoting it as an idea for, for young people, but it's important that they know what's going on um, with their peers because there is a lot of stereotype and calling each other names and stuff. They need to understand what's going on and they need to be aware of themselves as well and their own emotions and they need to be able to see um, the risks really, see what, you know, be able to keep on top of their emotions so that they don't get in that place themselves where that ever becomes an option. And so by raising awareness, we're not promoting the idea, but we are just informing young people so they are in the best place to be able to, to support those around them, to be mature and, and to be able to cope emotionally with things. Okay, I have one minute until the film is ready. Um, I do apologise um, for the delay and for me having to check with the tech guys. Okay, um, Rachel at is can talk a little bit about um, stigma. So, and she can talk about that. If we can have that f film. Actually, I've got another film to show in a minute. So, Rachel, I'm going to hold you off because I think this film is about to be ready. And um, then Rachel's going to talk to us afterwards about stigma and introduce the next film. Um, and the next film is going to be called Standing Up. And uh, she will be introducing that next. And she'll be talking to us about some of the problems based around the stereotypes and things. Here it is, it's called Getting Ready. The first time I did it was when a cat scratched me. I took a scalpel blade. And I made it worse. I was nine. And it was down the side of my face. It got worse and worse and worse. You tell me you're nothing, so I feel like I'm nothing. You convinced me. I don't want to hurt no one else, so I hurt myself. You don't know why I do it, but I do it because of what you say. I cut, and it helps. It goes away. You go away, but just for a moment. Afterwards, I can barely speak. I'm very quiet. I physically can't speak. 
And just for a moment, I feel me, alive. But just for a moment. There is a real, real need to try and change the face of self-harm. That was based on an actual true story. Um, it didn't concern the young girl in question, but it did. It was a true story. But what can we do? How can we change? How can we make a difference in the world of self-harm? Uh, Jules is going to come and speak to you in just a moment um, about some of her experiences of how she's worked and supported young people who self-harm. Part of the problem, as you saw with the, the question and answer session, uh, the standing up, sitting down quiz thing earlier on, there are a lot of stereotypes that go with self-harm. Um, lonely, very unhappy-looking teenage girl drifting around with not many friends type thing, and that's actually far from the case. The thing with stereotypes is stereotypes don't necessarily have to be negative. Sometimes they can be good, but stigma is where there's a real, real problem. And a lot of people won't make a disclosure that they're self-harming because they don't think that they tick that box. It shouldn't be happening to them. I'm happy to say that I... I've had a personal experience of self-harm and eating disorders, and yet I came from a Christian home. My parents are extremely happily married, and I was in the top five in my year for GCSE results. So I wasn't struggling academically. I had a nice home. I had a nice bedroom, and it still happened to me. But it's how we break the stigma. People don't want to talk about self-harm. And it remains an incredibly, incredibly secretive problem. The disclosure rates, as Donna said, could be what's based on our statistics so but the figures could be much much higher there could be far more people that this is affecting because people won't talk about it and that's what I want to challenge you to be able to think about doing and you can make a huge difference to a young person by saying very little you don't have to say a lot you don't have to understand self-harm in order to help somebody Jules will say this to you in a minute and one thing that I persistently bang on is that actually just listening to a young person can be incredibly empowering for them and we can all do that we can all find that time to listen I would love to kind of say that you know between us we can all now go out and change the world and and, and stop self-harm I'm not that naive self-harm is always going to happen it's, it's, it's a hideous fact of life, but young people are always going to be emotional and it's always going to be a problem. But we can make the road back for them just that little bit easier. Some of you may have had experience of self-harm either personally or with young people that you work with. Um, if you haven't, then the bad news is you're probably going to come across it at some point during your work with young people. But what do you do? If, some, if a young person comes and makes a disclosure to you, actually, what do you do? How do you manage that? There's three golden rules um, that we recommend in terms of managing that situation. And clearly, you know, in the hour that we've got this morning, um, we, we can't get into as much detail about all of this as we'd like to. The first question to ask yourself, if one of your young people is self-harming, is are they at risk? I can't stand here and tell you what it means for a young person to be at risk. We all have different levels of understanding about what risk is. Some of us will have organisational values around what risk is, as well as our own personal views. Are they at risk? 
If they are at risk, then uh, you might want to consider looking at your safeguarding policy. Um, is it a child protection issue? That's something that I'm often asked. Are they at risk? If a young person is disclosing that they've just taken an overdose, yes, quite possibly. But is a young person who pulls out their hair at risk? How would you define that? How would you break that down? If you haven't had that conversation with your colleagues and the other people that you work with, then it's a really, really important thing to do. What are they feeling? At that moment that they make a disclosure to you, how are they feeling? If they stand there in front of you and say, this is what's going on, and I feel so much better for telling you about it, great. But if they stand there and tell you and then they feel worse for it, you need to work with them in that moment and be there and love them and support them. After someone's made a disclosure, you need to kind of move them on. This is a, any, people that work in counselling will be familiar with what I'm going to say. You don't want to end your conversation talking about self-harm and the disclosure. You need to move that young person away from that conversation. What are they doing tonight? What are their plans for the weekend? Who do they, you know, what do they think of Glee? Anything. You don't have to care about Glee, but it, you know, it's, always a good, it's always a good place to start. But move that young person on. Take them away from the self-harm moment and move them on. We're running short on time. There is going to be another film in a few moments, but what I'm going to do in the meantime is hand over to Jules, who's now just going to come and share a little bit with you um, about supporting young people in more detail. Please come and talk to us. Um, as I said, we're very time limited this morning, but please come and talk to us in the other room um, if you want to talk anything else through. Thank you. Okay, I'm really conscious of the time, um, and this did take me 20 minutes last night when I did a run-through, so I'm going to really whiz. Um, I began my career in travel and tourism, and there I worked for 10 years in airports, hotels, tour operating, and finally holiday repping. I was then lucky enough to be a member of staff in a Princess Trust residential, and that changed my life forever because I then became involved in youth. I was lucky enough to work for Princess Trust, running a 12-week pro uh, training program, personal development pro program for extremely vulnerable youth. One of the uh, wonderful things of Princess Trust is that the fact that they give everybody a chance, including me, who uh, had no youth experience at all, to have a go. It was here that I met my self, first self-harmer. I then moved on to connections, working as a personal advisor, dealing with those that come out of prison, those that are excluded or permanently excluded from school. Here, I met more self-harmers. And then I worked for five years in a secondary school as a government-funded learning mentor for Excellence in Cities programme. Here, I met more self-harmers. And it was here that I linked up with Luton Church's Education Trust to run group work. But I've not told you all this just to fill in time or because I like the sound of my own life story. But the reason why I'm here today is to encourage you and to inspire you and to plead to you to have a go at helping. I'm not a self-harmer. I'm not qualified. I don't have a degree. And I barely scraped college. I haven't studied. But everything I've learned is from the young people themselves talking to them about their experiences and what self-harm means to them. I've only started reading books about it since becoming um, one of the advisors. But I know, without being big-headed, that I have made a difference to young people's lives. Mental health is such a scary thing. We're worried that if we get involved, we're going to make it worse for them, we're going to mess it up, we're not qualified. But the reality is this. 
If you don't deal with it, who will? They're going to go back into the system for months on end until maybe a teacher discovers that that's what they're doing. And then it becomes embarrassing and a school problem. The parents are dragged in and the parents are informed within a cold office. They are dragged to their doctor and they don't understand themselves why they're going through it yet. They haven't even had the time or the space to work it out in their own heads to understand themselves. And then it ends up on a referral list for CAMH and we all know that that can take a long, long time. Early intervention can help control self-harm and it can also stop it. And you could be the difference between somebody that self-harms for one year or six. Can I share with you a few pointers? We do have a slide on this, but I know we're all out of order. Disco, okay. Listening, Rachel's already mentioned it. I know it sounds very obvious, but the reason they want you to listen, or maybe they've chosen you, is because you are you. You are somebody that can categorically focus on them. Their family may be in turmoil, or often the rest of the family is just living life, and the young person perceives that they don't want to be listened to. I'd like to share with you Summer's story. On the second week of Prince's Trust, we go on a residential. I've known these young people for five days before we go. On the Friday evening, Summer came up to me and said, I do this, and showed me. I had no prior knowledge of self-harm. I didn't even know it existed in the world. I didn't have a computer at home. I couldn't research over the internet over the weekend. This was back in the 80s then. We didn't have computers at home. Her dad had abused the sister, and he was now put in jail. Mum was too busy supporting the sister and trying to pick up the pieces that she had never spotted this was happening. Summer had two older brothers who had a young family and they were too busy protecting their families from the devastation. She'd left school with no qualifications. Dad's jail sentence had put a heed to that. And she couldn't concentrate at college and was asked to leave. I'd known her for a week and our residential was going to be less than two miles away from where her, her dad was in prison. I asked her what she did to do this, cutting her arms, and she showed me a blade. And I took the blade and said, I'll keep that safe for you. Looking back now, that's a ridiculous thing to do. I took it thinking that would be it, that would be an end to it. And that was completely ridiculous. But what I did in that moment together was that I offered her trust. I said I would keep it on my person, and if she needed it, I would give it back, and we could talk about it. She clearly fell into the group of low self-worth. But by listening to her and talking to her about what she did, because I'd never come across it before, and providing distraction by the Prince's Trust activities, she not only succeeded the course, but she was invited back as an employee on the next course. And all I did was listen. I didn't give any advice, but I was just there. Honest and consistent, if you don't know, tell them, say so. They, they're not going to judge you on it. Set yourself times and regular meetings that you can protect yourself so you're not bombarded by texts or bumping into the street or turning up at your door. Say to them, I will give you between 7 and 7.15 if you need to talk about this with me. Set your boundaries. It's okay for you to say that you're not comfortable with the level that they talk about their self-harm. But as long as they are talking to you at some degree about it, then that's fine, and they just want you to be honest and not scared. 
Ask them what they want from you. And I know that disclosure is such a, a, a difficult thing, but they've been doing this for quite a long time, remember that. And it's often a knee-jerk reaction to think, oh my goodness, I've got to get your help right now. But actually, if you just build up that trust for the next couple of weeks, just, just talk to them and understand them and help them understand them. Maybe that couple of weeks before you have to move on and disclose or whatever, is that all they need to get their head straight to be able to tackle the problem? Mark's story he was, uh, I worked with him for five years throughout his whole of his high school life and he became officially diagnosed with OCD and as part of that he self-harmed. He didn't understand it and nor did I at the time. So we explored together. Every week for an hour we would trawl the internet, we would read books and we would read leaflets that I'd sent off for and together we read and understood what was happening. I'd ask him questions. Is that the same for you? What do you feel when you do that? is these young people's stories that we're reading, is that yours? Identify the emotions and expand the coping portfolio behind helping them. Talk to them, discuss with them and share stories. Which group do they fit into? Is it low self-worth? Is it anger? Do they need more help with anger management? Suggest different ways of coping, other ways. Can you be creative? Can you write about your issues? Can you draw? Can you paint? How about going out for a run when these feelings get too much? If it's a sensational thing that they are after, how about ice cubes, rubbing them up and down your arm or squeezing them to get the same sensation? Encourage them to explore the underlying issues. Why? Why is this happening? Is it a trigger? Is it every time your mum shouts at you? Is it because you close the door when you come home from school? Is it the bullies? Explore why and where the triggers lie. Emma wouldn't talk to me about self-harm, nor would she attend any group work. And it became very frustrating as a mentor not being able to talk to a young person. But what we did agree on was that we would do worksheets. So for an hour every week, she would sit in an office and work through worksheets. First of all, on self-worth, and then later on through a book that I managed to get hold of, which was uh, helping young people come to terms with self-harm. And she worked through the worksheets. Every week, she'd read and reflect on what was happening to her. Her parents became involved, and ironically, they were the one of the people or one of the parents that you see or have maybe seen in Hollyoaks that actually did take the door off her bedroom. She uh, repaid them by trashing her room. The room got redecorated and the curtains got put up, so she just trashed it again. When they took away all her social, social networking and it was said that she couldn't go out at night, she then did the next best thing, which was bunking off schools to spite them. She did anything to be in control. I wasn't happy with the way I was professionally working with her. I wanted to talk to her. She didn't want to talk to me, but what she did was work with me in a written format. So explore other avenues of helping these young people. Don't avoid the subject. It makes them feel bad. When people self-harm, there's so many issues and emotions involved. You are another person to let down or feel bad about. So don't avoid the subject with them. But do ask, have you had a bad weekend or is it a bad week? Is it okay for you? And check that they are safe. Obviously, you know, it's a very controversial issue. You don't want to condone it. You don't want to say, yeah, go ahead. But make sure that they are safe 
and they know where the first aid equipment is. Don't ever, ever tell anyone to stop or to intervene. As I said, mentioned earlier, they feel guilty and bad and, and punish themselves for, for the way that they are conducting this behaviour. Nurture them. See them through. If they've had a bad week, it's okay to step backwards and then we'll move forwards again. There are going to be many steps backwards along the road to recovery, but as long as we keep going forward. Affirm their positive choices. Encourage them. Congratulate them on every single step that they take. Small, tiny steps. Holly became a school refuser when I worked with her. And her mum rang one day in absolute panic, saying, she's self-harming, she's self-harming, what do we do? Ironically, Holly agreed to come into school to do group work. She didn't want to face her lessons, but she faced group work because there were other young people that understood who she was. It was agreed that she carried on schooling at home. She told me she wanted to go to college. And in my head, I was thinking, how's that going to work? You're not you're school refusing, and yet in a few months' time, you want to go to work. Okay, um, go to college. Let's, let's apply for college. Let's keep going on this positive route. And come September, she went to college every day. And it was just something that, that she did. It was just something in her life to get through those few months the self-harm got her to college and got her to where she wanted to be, and then it stopped. So focus on the future with them. Focus what, where, where they want to be in life, where they want to go, and you can be the power to get them there. So I hope in standing here today, I've taken away the fear, the unknown of self-harm and working with it, because today you have taken the first steps to helping young people. And now, now you can actually say, I've met two people that have self-harmed, and actually they're really successful women. You can get through that too. And so, please, leave here today and make a pledge that you're going to help and start on the road to recovery for these young people. Thank you so much, Jules. It was really great to actually hear someone's experience and their story, someone who's not had experience and, as she said, is not trained. And that's really valuable because we can give you all the theory, but, but it's Jules' story which, which really shows you how to make a difference. We are, um, I'm afraid, running a little bit over time, um, but do come and talk to us at the stand in the next room if you want to know more. It's really hard for us to cram all of this into one hour, um, but one thing we do do is we deliver training, half-day and full-day training um, to organisations. So um, if your church or if a school or anyone would like to get some further training to learn more about it, do come and talk to us about that, and we can give, we've got some training brochures with us. Um, also, I would recommend you check out the website. There's a section at the top called Get Information, and you can learn some stuff on the website, selfharm.co.uk. And, um, and also, to, something to recommend your young people check out as well. Um, if someone is suffering um, and struggling with self-harm, there's loads of support for them on the website, so do use that. And um, we are possibly going to end um, with a film called Standing Up, which might be um, showing, hopefully, as, as people are leaving. But right now, I'm going to hand back over to Rob. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, it's been great to share this with you this morning, and you've been a great audience. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you. That's fantastic.